Lieutenant Sullivan was the true Marine. He had just come back from two tours in Vietnam, had a bunch of medals. His men revered him. He was respected as one of the, the great warriors in the Marine, Marine Corps at that time. And, and so one evening, after several days of training, one of my classmates who wanted to go into the Marines when he graduated looked at Lieutenant Sullivan and said, Sir, how do I become a really outstanding Marine officer? And he, he got almost this, this sad, faraway look on his face, and he said, let me tell you a story. He said, I was a young officer, just out of officer training school, and they shipped me over to Vietnam. And, and I was a, a platoon leader in a company. And there were three platoon leaders, and I had, a, I had a platoon that was a lot of veteran men. And my perspective was, I wasn't going to come in and, and, and be that nitpicky guy. I wasn't going to make them do a lot of PT in the morning. Wasn't going to have a lot of inspections. No, no drilling with, with the weapons and things like that. These guys knew what they were doing. Lieutenant McAllister, my close friend, had a different concept. He drilled his men every day. They did their calisthenics and PT in the morning. They did their close order drills. They, he instilled discipline with inspections of their barracks and their uniforms. He said, then one day it happened. We were out in the jungle and a firefight broke out. And, and the three pl- platoon leaders, you know, sort of set up a, a, a headquarters in this little slit of ground. And Lieutenant McAllister was directing his men and they, and they were just responding with, with discipline and, and, and w- without hesitation. And my men, even though they were veterans, they were not. And a couple of them were killed. And it shook me to the core to see the difference between his men and mine. He said, but what happened next changed my life. They were raining down mortar shells. And in Vietnam, they had a timer on the mortar shell because they wanted it to explode just over the ground to do the maximum damage to to the soldiers. But one of those shells happened to land in the slit that they were in, and they could hear it ticking. Lieutenant Sullivan and his buddy jumped one way, and Lieutenant McAllister jumped on that mortar shell and died. And he looked at all us midshipmen, and he said, that haunted me for weeks. I couldn't understand. He said, you have to understand that as a Marine, we all believe that at that moment of truth, we will die for our fellow soldier. That when the chips are down, the ultimate warrior, the guy who is the true Marine and and a real brother in arms is willing to give his life for his brother. And Lieutenant McAllister did that, and I didn't. He said, for weeks I thought about that, and then I realized something. He said, there are a few decisive moments in your life. Not many. He said, but what you do in those decisive moments is not what you hope you would do. It's not what you would dream of doing. What you do in those moments of decision is what you've been practicing and training in those days and months beforehand. And that's what Lieutenant McAllister did, and that's what I did. And I decided that night that if I was going to be a Marine, I was going to be a Marine 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that answers your question. That's why I'm the officer I am and how you can be an outstanding officer. Now, today's message is going to be about 30 minutes. I just spent about four minutes telling that story. 
But here's what I would bet you. If I was to come to any of you a week from now or two weeks from now and say, what do you remember about the message that I gave that Sunday? Most of you are going to remember that story. Why is that? Well, the answer to that question is the main point of my message, so let's get to it. Um, my name's Al Hassler. For these, those of you who are visiting with us, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really honored to speak today. Uh, but I really believe the most important part of this message and the most part of, important part of our service is the prayer to ask God to be here. Because the Bible tells us over and over the persuasive words of any man, no matter who, who he is, are incapable of changing our hearts and doing the things that we hope to have done in our hearts. So let's ask, I'd be really grateful if you, if you join with me in asking God to be here. Father, thank you for this time. We cry out to you, Father, please would you be present. Would your spirit just move among the people of Rock Hills and, and give strength to those who are feeling weak. Give hope to those who are, who are discouraged. Would you give wisdom to parents who are seeking to raise their children? Would would you provide hope and healing in marriages that are hurting, Father? And just, just do a hundred things, a thousand things that I can't even imagine. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're in the middle of a sermon series we're calling One-on-One. And, and let me see if I can explain what One-on-One is to you very briefly. You see, the Bible, this book that we believe in, says there are many things that a church should be about. Just as an example, one of them is helping the poor and the less fortunate. That's why we go to Destino. That's why we go to Honduras and do water wells. That's why we go to Haiti. That's important for churches to do. But it also talks about another reality. The reality that in any faith community, any group of people like us, there are unique gifts and personalities and passions. And the question becomes, how do we express our faith? into the city of San Antonio. And so the leaders of Rock Hills got together and and sort of surveyed the the passions and and the giftedness and and the personality of our faith community. And we felt the way that we could best express our faith into San Antonio is through the one-on-one. And so we've been teaching through that. We developed cards, and I hope everybody has a card. And it gives you a step-by-step process of how we can express our faith into San Antonio through the one-on-one. Uh, emphasis. And so we've taught through listening to God. We've taught through prayer and scripture. And and, and today's message is sharing our story, sharing God's story with the people of San Antonio. And and for, for you to understand why we have that on the card, you first need to understand what our story is. You see, there are many stories out there trying to explain the universe and why we are here and what the meaning of life is. One of the most prevalent stories in existence in our particular time, in our particular culture in the U.S., is the scientific story. And that would essentially say there was a big explosion 17, 18 billion billion years ago. And through a random set of circumstances... We have come into existence through random mutation and other things, and that's why we're here today. And a lot of people believe that story. As Christians, we believe something else. And I'll just give you my brief synopsis of that story. We believe that a perfect God created the universe, that he created this earth and put humans on this earth in perfect relationship with him. 
And that sadly, we humans rebelled and revolted against God, destroying that relationship, breaking that relationship forever, to be forever separated from God. And that we were deserving of death as a result of our rebellion and our sin. And God being the perfectly just God that he is, he couldn't just say, oh, you know, I'll just forget it. You know, come back and let's get together again. He couldn't do that. He had to, his justice required a payment for that rebellion. And so what God did, because he was also a loving God, is he himself came down in the person of Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, died on the cross in our place in payment for our sin and rebellion, defeated death by rising again, and reestablished that relationship with God. And if we put our faith in Jesus, our relationship with God is reestablished, and we will live with him forever. That's what we believe. That's what this book teaches. And you see, we're living what we believe is this epic tale, this grand narrative, this this cosmic eternal story. But when I use the word story, I don't mean something fictional. You know, I could tell you a story of something that happened with Jan and I last week or when I was a child, and it doesn't mean it's fictional. It's just a way of understanding things. So that's the epic story that Christians believe. But there's one other thing that Christians believe. And we actually have a, a scripture that describes this in 2 Corinthians 4. There is an evil force on this earth. It's, it's sometimes called Satan. In this particular scripture, it's called the God of this age. And that scripture says this. It says, God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. So one of the problems on this earth, one of the problems in this city is that the evil force is keeping people from clearly seeing the truth of our story of the Christian faith. And so one of the reasons we have share your story, share God's story on our one-on-one card is because we want to be part of taking the blindness away from these people. So I hope your motivation is a couple things. Number one, over and over in the Bible, we're instructed to share our story. And that's a good thing to be obedient. But I hope you go beyond that. You see, the greatest commandment Jesus said is to love God and love others with all our heart to love others as ourselves. We here who have put our faith in Christ, we have been rescued from this blindness. If we were to love others, wouldn't we want to help them see the truth? And so I hope that's your motivation, is because you care about others. Maybe a very crude analogy would help. Let's just say that we are all brothers and sisters, obviously a huge family, right? And we all get abducted, and a couple of people manage to escape. And then they come back, and this evil person has, has us all held captive. And these two people who escape come back and they help me escape. And the, and the three of us are all rejoicing that as brothers and sisters, we're, we're free. And, and that celebration would be a, a huge celebration. But hopefully, at some point, we'd say, but we have other brothers and sisters that need to know the truth and need to be rescued from this force of evil. And so hopefully, out of love and concern for those who are being blinded by the God of this age, you want to be part of what God is doing. And so that's why we have Share Our Story. 
That should be the motivation. And I keep using the word story, and I want to talk about that for a minute. Why, why do we phrase it as a story? Again, I want to emphasize it doesn't mean it's a fiction. It just means it's a way of explaining things. It's, it's a way of communicating. There's a body of, of research that's coming out about that, and it uses the fact that story is a very powerful way of communicating. And, and so there's three real reasons why we want to use story. Number one, it's the easiest way. Number two, it's the most persuasive way. And number three, it's what the Bible models and what Jesus did. So that's why we have share your story. Now let's look at each of those. First, it's the easiest way, and it's the easiest to remember, right? I think most of us studied the Revolutionary War and the Civil War sometime in school, right? If I was to take you aside and say, okay, tell me the dates that they both, both those wars started and ended and the major generals and the major battles, I think very few people could actually do that even though you've studied it. But if I asked you, took you aside and say, tell me the story of Cinderella. I venture to say everybody in here could give a pretty decent account of the story of Cinderella. Why is that? Because God has wired us to live in narrative, to live in story. We communicate through story. We live out story. It's a much easier thing to remember. So if we're trying to remember how to communicate the story of God, it's much easier to remember it as a story. The second thing is, besides being easier to remember, it's easier to communicate. When I first became a believer, they taught me something called the Roman road. Okay, and it's all these verses out of Romans, and you memorize this, and you memorize that. And then, then you start sharing the, the various verses uh, of Romans, and it's sort of this argument and this, this you know, real sort of logical thing. But it always felt really awkward and forced to me. Most of us can tell a story, right? Most of us can tell a good joke and tell a story from our childhood, but it's much harder to sort of debate and, and come up with sort of this artificial Roman road. And, and so as an example of someone who, who just shares his faith so naturally, there's a guy named Bono, and most of you know who Bono is. He's the lead singer of U2. He's a very committed Christian, and Bono is very good about sharing his faith in a very natural and, and just unforced way. And so I came across a YouTube video where, where Bono is being questioned by a guy, and if you watch the whole video, it's pretty clearly not a believer. And you notice as you watch that, he's using story in answer to so many questions. He, he never, and I'm, I'm going to show you about a one-minute clip here in a second. He never, notice he never quotes a Bible verse. He never argues with the guy. He just speaks from his heart in a very natural way. So let's take a look at that. Okay, do we have sound? Was Christ and what or who was Jesus, as far as you're concerned? I think it's the it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ and and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or a, you know because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God, or he was not. No, no, nuts. nuts. Yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that 
all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think, therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, no problem with miracles. <laughs> Living around them. I am one. What or who was Jesus? I love the way he ends that. I have no problem with miracles. I am one. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. So we can see that's the easiest way to share the story, is, is to think of it as story. The second thing, interestingly, is the most persuasive way. There's a whole body of research coming out about the compelling nature of story that we seem to be wired in terms of story. I've been reading Psychology Today. They've been studying this for years. They've been trying to document it more scientifically. And finally, they came up with an experiment. They hooked up a woman storyteller in a brain scan. They had several other people she was telling the story to. And as she told the story, certain parts of her brain would light up. And interestingly, the, the exact parts of the brain of the other people would light up corresponding to hers just as she was telling that part of the story. And, and the quote from that research is pretty astonishing. Here's what they concluded. Their brains the storytellers and the, the, the listeners, became synchronized. When the storyteller had activity in her insula and emotional brain region, the listeners did too. When her frontal cortex lit up, so did theirs. By telling stories, we can literally plant ideas and emotions into a listener's brain. This is a far more powerful form of persuasion than data or logical arguments because they are schemas, scripts, how we think, and how we are wired. That's the power of storytelling from psychology today. And so interestingly, not only is it the easiest way to communicate, it's the most compelling. But I think most important for us as Christians, the third reason I would give to you for why we have Share Your Story on that card is because the Bible models that, and so did Jesus. So we see it's Psalm 40. I think we have that verse here today. It's, it's about, and by the way, this is just one example of many of the power of story and, and, and the instruction to share our story. And Psalm 40 says, He has given me a new song to sing, which is just another way of saying story, my story, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They all put their trust in the Lord. And so you see what, we're, what that verse is saying is share your story and many will put their trust in God. That's the power of story. So it's modeled over and over in Scripture. There's another great example, and it's in John 9. Many of you know this, this verse even without knowing it, okay? Because they've done surveys. One of the most known verses, even by non-Christians in the world, goes like this. Once I was blind, but now I see. Even people who are not connected to a faith know that verse. Because here's what happened. This man was healed on a Sabbath. The Pharisees, the religious leaders were, were ticked off about it. They drag him in front of him. They're looking at the scripture. They want an argument. Argue with us. Is this guy the Messiah or isn't he? And all he does is he says, look, all I know is I was blind and now I see. 
The idea that Bono just put forward, I am a miracle, is one of the most powerful ways to share your story. It's very simple. All I know is I was blind and now I see. There's no argument in that. It's just a rendition of a story. And finally, the third reason, uh, the, other, the other example within, a, within the Bible is Jesus himself. You know, you probably noticed that he never argued with people, or very, very rarely. If they asked him a question, he'd either ask a question back or he'd tell a story. And I think we'll look at Luke 15, 3. Many of you know uh, that this is where the story of the prodigal son comes in. And again, the, 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 uh, the setting is he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are going crazy. They're saying, what in the world are you doing? I thought you were supposed to be the Messiah. And he basically says, look, let me tell you a story. Okay? And, and that's how Jesus begins. And, and here's, here's the interesting thing. How many people here have ever read the Gettysburg Address or, or heard about it or tried to memorize or anything like that? How many of you have heard it or read it? Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've tried this many times because I had to memorize it once. And I go around and I said, okay, what? it is the, by far the most famous speech in all of human history. By far. But if I, asked, if I took you aside and say, give me a summary of what is said in the Gettysburg Address, you might know uh, four score and seven years ago, but, but do you really know what it's about? What was, what was Abraham Lincoln getting at in the Gettysburg Address? And I've asked that of many, many people, and almost nobody can tell me. But you can go to anyone almost on this earth and say, do you know the story of the prodigal son? Even if they're not a person of faith, and they can tell you the story. You see, it's only been in the last couple of centuries where we've become this scientific, sort of left brain logical culture that tries to communicate with all these precepts, and it's not the powerful way to do it. And so Jesus is the final model for us, and he always used story. And the prodigal son is a small portion of the story in the Bible. And so for all those reasons and many more, we have share your story in the card. And that's what we hope you will do. And so what we're asking you to do this week and in the weeks to come is go home and practice to, to reflect on and think about how you would take God's story and put it in your words. You and you and everyone in here, reflect on it. Try to, you heard me give a, a brief rendition of how I would say it. Okay, I want all of you to think about that. How would you express the story of God in a story form? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to our online community this week called The City, and I'm going to put in how I would express God's story into this city of San Antonio. And I want others, I hope, to get on there and share how they would express their, God's story into the city of San Antonio. Because we need to practice this. We need to reflect on it. And why do we need to practice this? Because there's not many decisive moments in life. There's not many times when the opportunity comes to share God's story. And at those decisive moments, you're not going to do what you hope you would do or what you dream of doing going to do what you've been practicing for the days and weeks and months previously.
Now that brings us back to Lieutenant Sullivan, doesn't it? You see, there's something I didn't tell you about what else he said that night. He looked at us midshipmen, knowing this was this brave warrior. He said, there's one other thing Lieutenant McAllister taught me. When I got over to Vietnam, I had no faith at all. I I didn't know what I believed. And over time, Lieutenant McAllister shared his story with me, the story that he believed in, the story of God and Jesus. And he looked at all of us, and he shared a story very similar to what I just shared with you about how we were separated from God by our sin. And if we put our trust in Jesus, we would be reconnected. Now, I didn't do it that night. But that had a tremendous impact on me that this great man, this great warrior would, would have the courage and the oppor- take the opportunity to share his story of faith. And it took me about 20 more years, but I finally came to faith. But I never forgot this man willing to share his story. And now we've come full circle, haven't we? I began with the story of Lieutenant Sullivan to demonstrate the impact of a story, to motivate you to share your story, to express it through one-on-one, and then I gave you the end of the story where he shared his faith. And we've come full circle, haven't we? And like all great stories, we're now left with a choice. Choice number one, we can reject the story. And there are a lot of people in our culture doing that. Choice number two, we can accept the story and have it just sort of be just this kind of logical thoughts running around in our brain, but no impact on how we live. And then there's a third choice. We can accept the story And then live consistent with what we believe in. To go out and express our faith. To to get hold of God's story. to, To become part of that story. And to share that story in the city of San Antonio. And I hope and pray that you will choose that third path. But it's interesting. Of those three paths, I have the most respect for path one and path three. And to explain that, I'll tell you one last story. Several years ago, I was going past a newsstand. I don't always read Rolling Stone, but they, Madonna was on the cover, and there was this in-depth interview, and was going to talk about what she believed. And so I thought that would be interesting, and I got it. And turns out, at this point in her life, Madonna believed the prevailing, I think, story in our culture, which is this, this universe came about as a, as a random explosion. The people were on this earth as a result of random mutation, and when you died, it was over. And as they, as they just talked with her further, you could see that her beliefs were totally ordering what she was doing because she was living the, the supreme hedonistic lifestyle. She was spending 10000 a week flying beluga caviar from Russia to New York City because she loved beluga caviar. When she felt like she wanted the pleasure of, of sex, she would get in her limousine, she would drive around the city, And she would find a guy that looked attractive to her, invite him into the limousine, and they would have sex together. She was the ultimate hedonist. And I'll tell you what, I have more respect for Madonna than I have for Christians who claim some faith that never impacts their life. Because she was living exactly consistent with what she believed in. 
And so the choice is before you today. You know, and, and I'm, I'm going to want to tell you a couple of things. If you choose that third option, going with God and being part of what he's doing in the world, being part of the story, it's going to be the most exciting, the most exhilarating, the most adventurous thing you've ever done. I mean, I spent 37 years chasing the gods of this world, money, sex, pleasure, and I was empty. And for the last 20 some odd years, I've been following God and it's been the most amazing journey you could ever imagine. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a cost. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And that, that isn't Al Hassler saying that. That's God who says that. Jesus himself. He said, if anyone would come after me, they must take up their cross, die to themselves, and follow me. Dying is not a painless experience, folks. And he, go, he went on to say, he said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be a narrow path. It's going to be a difficult path. And I'll be honest with you, I'm heading down that path. And I'm so blessed because I know my wife, Jan, my, my beloved Jan, is going down that path with me. She's going down that road with me. But it's a lonely path sometimes. It's difficult. And I, we want so much for other people in Rock Hills to go down that road with us. But if you don't believe in that, if you don't believe, then the Bible has something to say about that too. And it's actually in 1 Corinthians 15. It's this, it's this amazing chapter where Paul is saying, he, he's defending the resurrection. Because at this time, in, in the time when Paul was teaching, people, the Jews and the Greeks, they could not believe that somebody rose from the dead. And they're saying, are you sure this isn't just sort of you know, allegorical, that he really rise from the dead. And Paul says, he absolutely rose from the dead. And let me tell you something else. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you know, you know who the most pathetic people in the world are? Christians. And this is what he says. If he's not been raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's what Madonna's doing. And I want to say this as lovingly as I can. If you're, if, you're, if you're on the journey and you're checking out faith, I hope you journey with us for as long as it takes for you to, to fully check out this faith. It took me several years of journeying before I concluded, when, before I made my conclusion. But if you've journeyed with us and you're 100% sure, if you're absolutely sure that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that this, what we as Christians believe is the right story is not the right story, this is not Al Hassler talking. This is the Bible talking. What it says is, you ought to just walk out that door and never come back. But Jan and I are walking down that road, folks. And it's going to be hard at times. And we want so much for you to be part of that journey. But you know what? Whether or not you are, we are going down that road. Because we have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. You see, this is part of a narrative thread that's been going on for 2,000 years. People doing this, sharing their faith, because there was something that happened 2,000 years ago. Twelve simple men, fishermen and tax collectors, radically committed to Jesus and sharing his story, went off and changed the world. And that's what I want to be a part of. And my hope and my prayer 
is you will become part of our one-on-one expressing our faith in the San Antonio. Let's pray.